Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Good morning, everyone. Like Steve said, I appreciate you calling me a treat, Steve, wherever you went. Uh, he's the real treat, but I appreciate him for allowing, oh, there he is. I appreciate uh, him giving me the stage. Uh, my name is Andrew Riley. I'm the college pastor, and giving the college pastor the stage is always, uh, it's always a risk. So um, I only have one dad joke for you today, and then it's all business from here, okay? Everything after this is business, but one of my favorite um, dad jokes of all time is, um, it's, it's the three things that are hardest things for dads to say, right? It's, I love you, I was wrong, and Worcestershire sauce. Three hardest things for a father to say. Anyway, that's all you get, and now it's business from here. Um, I've never preached a Father's Day message, so I was actually kind of nervous. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was excited about it. I am currently in the throes of fatherhood, as many of you are. Um, and so getting an opportunity to encourage you guys uh, was something I'm actually really excited about. As Kevin and I were talking about what to talk about today, it became extremely clear very quickly that one of the things that needs to happen is that fathers need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. Um, in our culture, uh, fatherhood is something that is not looked up to. Um, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie in which the father was the hero in any type of way. If anything, they're usually the villain, villain and the reason that, uh, or the reason the villain is the way that they are um, is because of the father in their life. Um, we are told now as fathers that our role is replaceable. Um, we are told that anybody can play it or that you don't need one. It used to be understood statistically that fathers were one of the most important roles, if not the most important role in a family, and that how the father goes determines where the family goes. And that was one of the things that was very common. But now um, you have taken this gender role away from sex, any idea of God's design, and we are told that fatherhood or manhood is all it is is a social construct. And not only is it a social construct, but we can go ahead and change what fatherhood is. We can get rid of it, or we can imagine something new. And my hope for you today is to realize fatherhood is not a social construct. It is a divine construct. That you, as a father, you as a man, you have been given a very specific role in your home, in this church, and in this world. It is not meaningless, and it should not be taken away nor could it be changed because God has dictated what he wants fatherhood to look like. And it is real. And we as fathers are called to step into it now and for the rest of our lives. And so I just want to shotgun, man, a bunch of verses of what our God-given role as fathers and as husbands, what it actually is. You are the protector and nurturer of your family. 1 Peter 3.7, you are the encourager of your children. Colossians 3.21. You are the teacher of wisdom for your children. Proverbs 4. You provide discipline and correction. Proverbs 19. You are a compassionate friend. Psalms 103. You are the example of boldness, bravery, and steadfastness in your home. 1 Corinthians 6.13. And you are the head of your household and the willing, sacrificial leader. Ephesians 5. Your role matters. And I don't care if the culture says that it doesn't. Your designer and the designer of the universe says it does. You 
and me are called to step into this role. And so what I want to do is encourage you guys and to spur you on. Because here's what I know about fatherhood. It's one of the things that stops us from fulfilling the role that God has called us to fill is that we have been tired or we haven't been encouraged or that we haven't been trained or that we have failed so many times or we just don't know what we're doing. And so we've gotten to the point as dads where we just kind of like step back and we just kind of say, you know what, I'm just going to fail again or I'm just going to mess things up again. I'm just going to ruin my family a little bit more, ruin the culture a little bit more. And so because of that, I don't want to step into again what God has called me to step into because I know I'm going to mess up again or I'm going to hurt someone again, or I'm only going to send my kids to therapy in the future because of what I'm trying and attempting to do. And my encouragement for you today is to get back up, fathers. For me too, if there's anything I know is that I failed, but the Bible calls us to get back up. And one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 24, 16. It says that for though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. In other words, what I love about this verse is that it shows that it doesn't say, and the righteous will never fall. It doesn't say that the righteous will never fail. It doesn't say that the righteous will never stumble, fall into sin, or do something the wrong way. It says that when they do, the thing that differentiates the righteous from the wicked is the fact that when the righteous fall, they get back up. And we fall and we fail again and again and again as fathers. We fail and then we take the brunt of that from our society when we fail. And when we succeed, we get none of the credit. And that happens a lot of times. And so the Bible says, man, if you're righteous, which means that you are in Christ, it says that you can get back up and you have the authority to get back up. But why? Why do we have the authority? And why is it that so many people, when calamity strikes, either from external forces or internal sin, why do we fail to get back up? It's because we forget who we are. And my encouragement to you as fathers is to get back up, not because I am up here telling you so, but because of what Jesus Christ said about you, for those of you that are in Christ and his children. We just did a three-month series on Romans 5 uh, through chapter 8. And in it, we see constantly that we, all humans, are facing and fighting sin. We have our flesh and we have the spirit. And these two things are waging war against one another. And even though theologically, we never have to sin again because we have the Holy Spirit, it says that realistically, because we're still fighting our sin nature, Romans chapter 7 says the things that we want to do, we won't do. And the things we don't want to do as fathers, those are the things we keep on doing. And the Bible recognizes this as a reality. But the reason that we can fall and get back up, once again, is not because I'm up here telling you because maybe I'm inspiring you or whatever it may be or my words. No, it's because of what Jesus says about you. At the end of Romans 7, when it says you're going to fail and not do the things you want to do and do the things you don't want to do, it says that thank goodness for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has redeemed you. He has saved you in your past, in your present, and in the future. He calls you redeemed. He says that the condemnation that keeps you down when you fall, that keeps the wicked down when they fall, he says you don't have that anymore because Jesus is sitting at the right home, uh, the right hand of God, and he is saying, I died for that person. I have paid their debt. They are forgiven. They are redeemed. And there is now no more condemnation for that father that has fallen seven times and again and again and again. I've redeemed. I have forgiven. I have saved. And Jesus says that about you, fathers. He says that about me. 
And so this is supposed to be this encouraging, uplifting moment where even when you failed in the past, Jesus Christ says there's no condemnation, not so we can move forward and be hypocrites and do whatever we want and fall again as many times as we want, but that when we fall, we know we can get back up because of what Jesus has called us to, what he says about us, and what he did for us 2,000 years ago on that cross. And so as men, what I want to do is I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today in three different ways. Three ways I want to encourage you. Um, I want to call you to persevere, to get back up. And a lot of times as fathers, because of our failure or because we don't feel worthy or because of something else going in our life, maybe our parents were terrible examples. Your father was a terrible example. You didn't have one and you just don't know any better. What I want to do is I want to show you where to persevere in your life. And I've been reading Proverbs for the past month, and it has been so incredible for me and my home as a husband and as a father. And I'm going to be going over a whole lot of Proverbs today. And my hope for you is that you're encouraged and spurred on to step into the God-given role that he's equipped you to be a part of and also allowed you to take part in. So the first way of three fathers that I want to call you to persevere is persevere in gaining wisdom. Persevere in gaining wisdom. Many of you, I don't know when you came to Christ. Maybe you're someone who you're kind of, you were in a, a private Christian school and raised in a very religious household and you've gotten to the point now where you're just like, man, I feel like I know the Bible back and front or I feel like I've started to read it and I've gotten everything I'm gonna get out of it or I know lots of verses or I can, I can tell you the books of the Bible in order and so I'm good to go now. I don't need to continue gaining in wisdom and I just wanna go ahead and say that's not true. You have got to continue to what Steve says, mind the depths of the Bible. It's one of my favorite phrases because it means you can keep going. It means you don't stop. It means just because you have John 3.16 memorized or that it's on a coffee cup in your home, it doesn't mean you stop gaining wisdom from the Word of God. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 14, it says, know that wisdom is such, it's referring to honey from the verse before, know that wisdom is honey to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. It's honey to your soul. As dads, we don't care much about our souls, right? A lot of times we care about making sure our family succeeds, making sure our wife succeeds, making sure our business is functioning properly, making sure our investments are in order, making sure everybody gets their schedules are good. We care a lot about other people's schedules and their busyness and, and the future and things like that. And we stop to tend for our own souls a lot. We don't care for our own souls. And what I am calling us men to do, for you fathers to do, is to start caring for your own soul. How you tend to your own soul matters. And it will be like honey to your soul if you can continue gaining wisdom and reaping wisdom from the word of God for the rest of your life. Some of you, man, you came to Christ in college and it was such a beautiful time of you honestly and fervently pursuing God, but since then you haven't opened your Bibles. And since that moment, you've slowly but surely started to dwindle down and how much you care about gaining wisdom from the word of God. And I want to say, man, you need honey and sustenance for your soul. Don't stop. In my life, there have been moments in which I've been extremely filled 
in my soul with the word of God. And then there's moments where I go through and I feel like it's a dry season and I don't know what's going on. And my call is for you to keep persevering. And you will get to the moment where God's word continues to fill you with honey. It reminds you of your purpose. It reminds you of his wisdom. It reminds you of what he's called you to be as a dad. And it gives you a purpose in your home and it gives you a purpose in this church and it gives you a purpose in this world that our culture says doesn't exist. And when you fill yourself with godly wisdom, it helps you and it guides you and it sustains your soul. Don't neglect gaining wisdom. I don't care how long you've been doing this. And there's an, not only does it help you sustain your soul, but it will also be honey for your household as well. Proverbs 24, verses three through four. By wisdom, a house is built. Not by your own experiences, not by your own thoughts, but by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. As fathers, man, we are attempting to build a home. We're attempting to build a really strong home and not just our home, but every single room. I don't know about you guys, but I want every four, all four of the rooms in my household to be filled with treasures the wisdom of God. And as I gain in wisdom of God, and as I learn, I'm able to hopefully fill the house with the wisdom of God. Not because it's, hey, look at me, look how smart I am, but I'm taking the treasures of the word of God and I'm putting them in all four bedrooms of my home. And then we get to raise our children in a way in which they also get honey for their soul in the same way that we're building our home. And so persevere in gaining wisdom. Don't give up. I've been going through Proverbs and it has literally changed over the past month how I have parented. It has helped me and given me wisdom, not my own wisdom, because my wisdom is not good enough, but God's wisdom is. And it has changed how I've parented, even in subtle ways that hopefully will be something that brings life to my children. The second thing I'm calling you fathers to persevere in, the second thing that you and we can do in our homes that's going to help us is persevere in using your tongue to bring life. Persevere in using your tongue to bring life. We're not always the great at this, at this, are we? So often we can be quick to frustration, quick to point out faults, and slow to build up. Quick to speak, slow to listen. Quick to discipline, slow to care. And often we don't use our words to bring life. And I honestly, for the past month, I've went through some physical struggles and it led me to be really short with my children and to point out things quickly in them and to discipline them harshly or to reprimand them without love and without instruction, without care. And I've done that over the past month and it wasn't until my wife, Amy, who is in this service, uh, she wasn't in the last one, but it wasn't until she lovingly one morning brought up like, hey man, you've been so short with them. Like you've been really focusing on discipline and reprimand, and you haven't been encouraging, and you've been quick to be frustrated. And I was so glad she pointed it out because I had not been using my tongue to bring life. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Fathers, you can bring such life into your homes, and then you get to eat the fruit of that. You get to enjoy it. Your children get to enjoy it. Your spouse gets to enjoy it. They all get to enjoy the fruit of you using your tongue for life in the home. 
My dad was not a super encourager, and I don't know if you had a good father figure, no father figure, a bad father figure, no idea in your life what you had. But my dad, there are things that I, he said that I will never forget in my life that brought me life. I'll never forget when I was 18 years old, and I am literally crying, eating a po' boy at a restaurant because I had gotten to the end of my high school career, and I had realized that all the sports I played brought me no fulfillment, that all the girls I'd been with brought me nothing, that all of the popularity that I had left me completely empty at the end of the day. And I remember crying with probably like lettuce dripping out of my mouth. And my dad is just being there and he's encouraging me. And he's reminded, I don't remember an exact word that he said, but I just remember the gist and the moment. And what he said was like, hey, look, they're never going to fulfill you. Like that's only going to be fulfilled with Jesus Christ. It's like, what are you doing searching after all these things? It's not going to happen. And I'll never forget the caring moment that my dad had with me and the life that his words brought me in that moment. I'll never forget when I was about to go away to LSU and I had no idea what major I wanted to do. I'm 18 years old. I'm like, what? I'm planning the rest of my life right now, like in my kitchen. Like, what am I going to do? And I'll never forget when my dad came to me and he spent just 10 minutes with me, focusing on my strengths and my weaknesses. And he's like, hey, you're good at this. I've really seen this in you. I've noticed this in your life. And you're not very good at this. You don't care about that. Or you've struggled with this. And he pointed those things out in my life. And man, I remember it. And then based on his and what he said about me and what he fanned into flame in that moment was what I pursued for the next four years in college and what I graduated in. And I'll never forget that moment. Once again, my dad was not a super encourager, but I'll never forget that moment when he used his tongue to show me my God-given talents for this life and what he wanted me to do with it. I'll never forget the moment when I was 12 years old. It was a Christmas Eve service and they presented the gospel. And afterwards, my dad said, hey, what do you think about this? And then he was able to walk me through the gospel. And then he helped me put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior to forgive me for my sin. I will never forget that moment in my life. God, my father used his words to build me up, to bring life, to point me towards Jesus to show me that fulfillment only came from God, to show me my God-given strengths and weaknesses to use in this life for his purposes. You get to be that for your children, fathers. You get to have that impact on them. I don't care if they're one year old or they're 18 or they're out of your house. You get to be the one that brings encouragement to your children. And some of you right now, you're hearing me say this, and you're like, I didn't have that kind of dad, or I haven't been that kind of dad. And you're focusing on the past, and you're getting bitter about your father figure, or the lack of a father figure, or you're upset because you've messed up. And I want to tell you, now's the time to start, to get back up from your failure, to persevere, and to use your tongue to bring life to your family, to your children. Now is the time to get back up. Don't be bitter about what your father wasn't, but know that you, for decades to come and generations to come, can change what your family is. For generations to come, you can be the one that shows them what it's like to be encouraged. And then they can take that and they can encourage their kids. It doesn't matter what your father was like. It doesn't matter what information you were not given. It matters what you do with what you have now. God is calling you, fathers, to move forward to persevere, to encourage your children, to share the gospel, to share biblical wisdom, and to model it in the best way possible. Not that you're not going to fail. You will fail. But yet, because of what Jesus did for you, you can get back up. You can get back up again. 
Don't let the past stop you from stepping into how God wants you to use your tongue for the future. The last one is this. Oh, wait, sorry. When it comes to persevering with the tongue, there's one other way that you can bring life. I'm sorry. There's one other way that you can bring life to your children. And it's fairly controversial these days, but Proverbs 19, 18 says this. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, exactly how you discipline your children is up to you. Um, And once again, Proverbs can help with this. But here's what's a must. Discipline must happen. Some of us as Christians think that discipline is out of bounds these days. That is a cultural idea. That is not a biblical idea. When you read Proverbs, you see how important it is to discipline your children. And this verse, right? Discipline your son for there's hope. It brings hope. Some of you think it's hopeless, but it brings hope. But then I love, this is such an awkward um, uh, one to understand, but it says, do not set your heart on putting him to death. And you're thinking, of course, I don't want to put my child to death. Of course, I want to do that. But it's saying that if you don't discipline your child, it is as if you are putting him to death. And it's as if you're desiring to put him to death. And that's the opposite of what our culture says right now. Our culture says right now, hey, if you discipline your child, you're ruining them. They're going to need therapy for the rest of their life. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. If you withhold discipline from your children, you are desiring their death. And that's a hard thing to say. Now, once again, some of you right now, how I say the word discipline, it brings up very specific either memories or movie clips or things you've heard about other people in your mind. And I'm not gonna comment on that too much. I'd love to talk to you about how I discipline my children and what that looks like. But here's what I think is most necessary. When the Bible talks about discipline, here's what it includes. It is when you reprimand with instruction and with love. You need to hear that. If you reprimand without instruction and without love, all that is is punishment. That's all it is. It's like the government writing you a ticket. There's no love. There's no instruction there. Don't speed again. Good luck next time. Biblical discipline is when you reprimand with instruction and with love. That's what biblical discipline is. When I discipline my child correctly, because I have failed at this too, but when I discipline my children correctly, I stop. I don't respond in frustration in the moment, although many times I do. I instruct them on what they did that was wrong. Then I instruct them on why that wrong thing either goes against God or how it will hurt them in the future based on godly wisdom. And then I give discipline, whatever that may be, whatever my wife and I decide, And then I always follow it up with the same phrase. Hey, do you know that even though you just broke this rule or you said this that hurt me or that you did this thing that broke this or you hurt your sister, do you know that I still love you? Do you know that you're still my son? That's when I do it right. I don't always do it right, guys. And I fail. And there's lots of times I just respond in frustration and just give punishment. That's not discipline. Discipline is when you give instruction and when there's love involved. And it's when you reprimand in those ways biblically speaking. If you have more questions on what that looks like and what Amy and I do specifically for our children, I'd love to talk with you. But here's what is a must. You must discipline your children. And that is actually a way that you bring life to them. It's a way that you bring life to them. And when you say, I'm going to step out of discipline and I'm going to reject it altogether, it says that you're desiring their death. Step into it lovingly and with instruction, not harshly, Not in something that discourages them, as Ephesians says, but in a way that's encouraging, which once again, we can talk about that if you ever have questions. 
The last uh, thing I want to ask fathers to persevere in, here, me included, to persevere in building friendship. Persevere in building friendship. If there is anything that I have discovered being a husband and a father over the last 10 years of my life, it is that finding friends as an adult is really difficult. In college, it was like, you're in my class, I'm in your class, let's spend the night best friends. Like, this is great. I'll tell you everything, you tell me everything. This is going to be perfect. I slept over more at my friend's house than I did my house, my senior year of college. And that's just how it was. You could build these shared experiences within days and be best friends. And I remember telling people my freshman year, I was like, man, you're, you're going to be my best man in my wedding. He wasn't even a groomsman when I got married, right? But it felt that way. It felt that you could build these friendships so quickly. And then you get married and you have kids. And eventually that's the thing that takes, it goes to the back burner, right? Because, right, we got to focus on what? We got to focus. We got to make sure the, the family's doing all right. We got to make sure my job's in order, investments. Got to make sure that the, the, the lawn gets mowed. We got to make sure that we install gutters and, and crown molding and all the things, right? And so, what goes to the back burner? Friendships. And as men, a lot of times we don't care about our own souls as much. And that is the last thing we want to do. Or we're so prideful, we think, I don't need this. I don't need godly friendships. I don't need real Christian community. That doesn't have to exist. I don't need to be vulnerable with other men and tell them my struggle. That doesn't need to happen. And yet, man, biblically is one of the most important things that we see in Proverbs is that you find and fight for Christian community and friendships that you can be vulnerable in, that you can be held accountable, that you can be encouraged in, that you can receive godly correction or godly wisdom from. We desperately need it. And when we don't have it, what happens? When we don't have Christian friends, when we don't have that godly community, first of all, our family suffers. Because our children, when they stop listening to us, which they will stop listening to you, right? You bring other godly friendships into your marriage, and then they now have another couple to look at that they're probably far more likely to listen to. But when you don't bring those people into your life, your kids are far less likely to learn. And then also, not only that, but you are way more likely to stop persevering as a father when you don't have Christian friends. You are far more likely to fall down and not get back up when you don't have Christian friends. And so what else is at stake? I just have four verses. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. In other words, the fool says, I'm good. I don't need anybody else. I know the best thing for my family. I know the best thing for my life and my work and my finances and what I do with my phone and what I do with my entertainment, my free time. That's what a fool says. And the Bible says a wise person surrounds himself with wise counsel. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about like, hold my beer. I'm going to one-up this guy and I'm going to take my motorcycle and fly over the house and into the lake. I'm not talking about that. That could definitely lead to death. That's the easy one. I'm talking about all the little things that we do that lead to death. Like the things like what you do with your free time, what you invest in, the people, the friends you do bring into your home around your kids. These are the things, what you listen to, what you watch people you surround yourself with. These are all the things that lead to death for you, the secrets you hold. 
These are all the things that lead to death. But in our own minds, we're good to go, right? That's what a fool says. And that will only lead to death. In Proverbs 18.24, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, it's not just getting friends. Some of you here right now like, I just need friends. No, you need godly, God-honoring, redeemed, Jesus-loving friends is what you need. You don't just need a friend that's going to tell you what you want to hear. You don't need a friend that's just going to tell you, yeah, you know what? Go be happy. Do what feels best to you. You don't need that. That's an unreliable friend. You need friends that you can rely on, that you can trust to give you godly wisdom. And then Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. In other words, stop trusting yourself. The Bible is so clear. Stop trusting yourself. You're only going to let yourself down. And as men, we can be real prideful and think we're good. I can help everyone else. And you don't care a bit about helping yourself. One of the greatest things you can do to help yourself is to get friends that love and follow Jesus. What's to gain? What's to gain from finding Christian friends? Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down a heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Many of us men are dealing with anxiety. We just don't care if anybody knows or don't want to tell anybody. And yet when we surround ourselves with Christian friends, man, just the slightest encouragement can be something that sustains us for a really long time. Some of us, like you need encouragement every day. That may be a problem. But like, man, sometimes we get down and we just need a godly friend to help us out, to give us some encouragement, just like my father did for me. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Wisdom is what you can gain. Walk with people that are wiser than you, that know more scripture than you, that know God more than you. You get to glean and benefit from their wisdom in your life. But when you don't have those godly friends and your friends are fools, then you suffer harm. And then you do take a motorcycle over your house into a lake. That's what happens. Proverbs 27, 6. This verse is worth the price of admission. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Have you ever been lovingly wounded by a friend who cares for you? Someone who loves you enough to see something that's leading to death in your life and to say, hey, this is leading to death in your life. Don't go that way. When my wife came to me a few weeks ago and said, this is what you're doing with your tongue. When my staff comes to me and said, hey, this is what you did when you preached last. And man, that wasn't it. It hurt. It hurts. It hurts my pride. Wait, I'm not perfect. I thought I was good at that. You're not. I was lovingly wounded in that moment, but I appreciate that. I'd much rather that than someone who just says, man, everything you said on that stage was perfect. At the end of every message, people always come up and say, good word, pastor. And I never know how to respond to it. It's like, are you just telling me what I want to hear or what you think I want to hear? Also, I'm not asking you to come up and be like, hey, you sucked, pastor. Don't do that. (laughs) Right? But if you want to lovingly wound me, I'm okay with that. And I've had to get to the point where I need to be secure in who I am in Christ to where when someone comes and points out my fault, that I can weigh it and say, man, is there truth here? But when you don't have godly friends and all you have are enemies that tell you what you want to hear, you'll end up at some dark places. I know someone who had an affair and was uh, encouraged by their friends to get a divorce because that's what would make them happy. And I'm like, man, you surrounded yourself with people that didn't want to lovingly wound you. Didn't want to lovingly wound you. They just pushed you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. 
An enemy tells you what they want to do. They're not your friend. That's a, that's a whole thing. Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. It is honey to your soul when you receive honest counsel from people. That's honey to your soul. You must fight for friendship. Fight for godly men in your life. It takes years, men. Do you hear me? Years. In the same way you slowly but surely build up your home and you increase its value, hopefully with kids it's really hard, right? But you're trying to do it over years. You're putting work into it. You're putting time. You're putting resources in it. It takes time. It takes effort. And this is the exact same thing with Christian friendships. As an adult, it takes years to get enough shared experiences where you truly feel close with people. And a lot of times that causes us to back up and be like, I don't want to spend years doing this. No, fight for it, men. Fight for it. I've only made a few really strong men friendships in my life since becoming married and having kids. But I wouldn't trade those things for anything. I wouldn't trade those friendships for anything else. And those have been some of the most life-giving, God-honoring friendships I've ever experienced that have encouraged me, spurred me on to be the father that God has called me to be. And even coming here, right? We started over when we came to Baton Rouge and we had to start that process again. And it took years And it's still taking years and we're still building friendships. Stop neglecting finding Christian community. You have to fight for it. You must fight for it. And then when you find it, it's going to be one of the greatest things that you've ever found. So don't stop. Don't stop fighting for it. And I do want to end with this. At the end of all of this, there are some of you who Even me saying this, right? You're like, man, I don't want to step into this thing. I'm just going to fail again when I try to make friends or when I try to do this thing, when I try to step into a community group and make real friendships. Like, I'm just going to fail again. We have all failed. We've all failed. I have a list of things that we've all failed in right here. We've all failed with our words and responded in frustration with our children. We've all fallen with our discipline of our children and either disciplined too harshly or incorrectly or neglected it altogether. We failed to teach our children the way that they should go and been really bad teachers. We have failed to give up time from work, TV, or our phone to invest in our wife and children due to our selfishness. We failed to keep our eyes from lust. We failed to model sacrifice with the dishes or other chores because of our desire to rest. We have failed to model scripture memory, quiet times, and prayer with our children. We have failed to protect our family from those in this country who are trying to teach them everything except to follow Christ. We have failed to spend our money in a God-honoring way, and we have failed to nurture our children after they leave our home and just said, good riddance, good luck. We have failed in many ways. And I want to read one last proverb to you. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say I have kept my heart pure and I am clean and without sin? We've all failed and fallen Men, none of us can say we're good. None of us can say, I've been doing this thing well. None of us can look at ourselves and look at another person and say, man, that's a, that's a father over there that's never fallen. That's not true. Every father in this room is someone who desperately needs the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in their life. Every single one of us is fallen And we need to focus on Christ. And we need friends who are going to help us focus on Christ. We need to mine the words of God 
to remind ourselves that God knew that we had fallen and yet he still died for us and pushes us to get back up as redeemed human beings and push forward. And he's someone, right? Jesus Christ, he encourages us to continue to move forward with our tongues and bring life to people, to share the gospel with our children, with our friends. None of us are clean. None of us haven't fallen. And so the call here is to get back up. And the thing that separates the righteous from the wicked, those that know Christ and who Christ is their Lord and those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, is the fact that you do get back up knowing that you are redeemed. And then condemnation doesn't exist. And so as men, I am calling you to get back up and get back in the game, to persevere not because you can do it yourself, but because of what Jesus constantly gives you and what he says you are and what he did for you 2,000 years ago. You can get back up. You can continue to be the father he's called you to be. And when you fail, because you will fail again, get back up and be redeemed and step back into the role God's called you to be in. Your fatherhood matters. Your manhood matters. And your perseverance matters. And so the last thing I want to say is fathers, internally, you might feel worthless. Externally, our culture says you're worthless or useless, but the Bible says you have a purpose. Don't ever neglect that purpose. I don't care how many times you've fallen. Through Jesus Christ and his redemption on the cross for your sins, you can get back up and I can get back up and we can keep fighting and encourage others to fight. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for every father in this room. Every father that has fallen, that's not perfect, that has sinned, that has messed up, that has done it wrong. Whether they're in the middle of it or they're looking back at their past, God, I pray that we receive your forgiveness. For those of you that know you, that have begged for your forgiveness, I pray that we can step into that forgiveness to recognize that we are not condemned, that we have been redeemed, we have been changed, not to move forward as a hypocrite or move forward as a lazy father, who doesn't care to continue to step into the role you've called us to be, but as someone who recognizes what you say about us, recognizes our purpose as dads, and steps into it. Lord, would you give us the courage to do such a thing and to fight and to persevere for the rest of our lives, to fight and to not neglect the things you've called us to be. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for calling us your children. And thank you for being our father, the perfect example of what no one in this room has ever had. Would you help us strive to be like you as a father? Pray this in your name. Amen. The thing I want to do uh, before we step into a time of worship, um, there's someone here uh, who was in that mode of lack of perseverance. They were in a place where they had stepped back as a father for one reason or another. And then recently, God has radically changed them to the place where they have stepped back into that role. And so this is Ricky Credo. Yeah, I'll take that. And uh, I want to ask Ricky a few questions. Um, man, that just to get his take on what God's done in his life, to get him to get back up and to get back into the game of fatherhood and what that's looked like. And so I just have a couple questions. But um, in the past, what stopped you or hindered you from being the father or the husband that you knew God had kind of called you to be? I think one of the biggest um, hurdles that I had was this idea of why me. Um, I'm a sinner. I constantly sin. I'll continue to sin. But yet God died, you know, sent his son. Jesus died, was resurrected for me. And that idea that it's so personal 
uh, that he knows my name, it, 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 it was very difficult for me to fully understand that and fully grasp that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this concept I had in my head that if you were a believer, life was great. Um, no hardships. Everything was perfect. Um, I thought I had a true relationship with, with God just going through school and, and in the home. But when my wife and I lost our daughter in 2018, Sloan, I, how could God let this beautiful, innocent girl go? Um, I didn't understand how he could let that happen. Mm. Um, so we started going to grief share. We started going to all the other classes and I started really starting my walk towards Christ again. And really got, we got baptized, um, as it is an adult, as a true believer in, in Easter mm. 2019. But I didn't understand how there could be such a separation between me as someone that falls constantly, which is about every sin possible to someone that loves me and follows me and calls me by name. Yeah. So what kind of changed? So, um, obviously you were in that kind of mode and that kind of hindered you from why don't you step out and do some of these hard, harder things and persevere. But what's God been doing in your life recently to where, man, you have felt encouraged and spurred on to kind of step back into that role as a husband and a father. So I started doing the usher team here, um, in 27, 2018. And that allowed me to meet a lot of uh, political men that helped me with my walk. I joined a D group and a community group. Uh, but I'd say I got reignited during the men's retreats mm-hmm. uh, to go through with other men that are dealing with the same issues as me of self-doubt, um, stress, anxiety. Um, I don't make enough money. I should be, I should, I'm working too hard. I'm uh, lust or, or greed or jealousy to realize I'm not the only man going through that. Um, it's really powerful to walk through that with other men of, of different generations as well, too, uh, whether it be fathers or not, grandparents and, and, and single men, mm. right? It, it's not a unique experience, so we get to rely on each other. Uh, we use a phrase, iron sharpens iron, right? We're called to walk with each other in, in this, this faith walk, getting closer to God, and when we stumble, to be able to rely on each other and to to step with each other and to hold each other's hands and to mm-hmm. to lift each other up um yeah. and that's just really kind of got me excited again mm-hmm. go, going forward yeah so what so obviously you've stepped into those things like d group and finding that christian fellowship what stopped you from doing that before like what are the things that kind of hindered you or um i was really good i think at lying to myself Uh, I had my mask at work. I had my mask at home. I had my mask to my friends. Um, I always felt like I had a need to hold back to a certain degree on who I really was and all my sins. Mm -hmm. But going through what I've gone through over the past five years, to be able to confidently talk to my wife about any issues that I have and know that she's going to hold me and respect me and, and comfort me and not judge me for what I'm going through. Um, it just gives you so much, um, electricity almost in your body to be able to have that that relationship Mm, um so to go from what i was going prior to now is amazing yeah so what are some of the things you've since god's kind of changed your life and what are some of the things you fought to bring back into um man your your role and Mm -hmm. encourage you to step back into fatherhood so i I could say a lot of that is the the two living children that we do have sterling who's six and ruby who's two uh, to see Ruby starting to sing the church songs is so exciting to me. 
uh, to have Sterling talk to us about God and about Jesus and saying that he's accepted Jesus into his heart. It's, mm. It reminds me that they watch what we do constantly. Mm. Um, and that if my, you know, like you spoke about the tongue, right? Mm -hmm. if, if I'm acting one way and he's seeing it and that's not biblical, that's how she's going to look at me. Yeah. And I, I got to remind myself that he is constantly viewing me, constantly looking to see what Holly and I are doing and to show Ruby what a godly man looks like for when she gets out into the dating world yeah. is, is important as well, too. That is good. And um, so one, one of the things I recognized when we were talking was, man, some of the ways that God has blessed you mm -hmm. since really stepping into this place that you never thought you would be. Yeah. Um, what are the ways that, man, you just felt God's blessing since you've kind of stepped yeah. back into this role? Um, it's definitely not a switch, right? It's not like as if everything's perfect. Uh, but the idea that I can release that burden that's been on my shoulders uh, to talk with friends, to talk with men, to talk with my wife over what's going on eternally is it's just been a significant de-stressor for me. Yeah. Uh, I've lost weight. I've had the courage to go to counseling. I've had the courage to, to talk uh, about my um, anxiety-induced depression, mm -hmm. um, you know, just to, to go through that with, with everyone. And the five minutes of uncomfort up here mm -hmm. is exciting because we're so open about losing our daughter and so proud of my wife and the, the things that she does with Hope Mommies. If we can go through a few minutes of a little uncomfort and being mm -hmm. open and honest, we might be able to lead someone else to get a close relationship with God. Yeah. That, that's extremely exciting for me. Yeah, I appreciate that. We all, please give him just a hand. It's hard to be vulnerable. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to be uh, vulnerable. It just is. Um, and so here's what I want to do. We're about to uh, worship one more time. And just you as a father, um, if there's something that you need to go before the Lord, we encourage you to go before the Lord first. Um, if there's been something you've been neglecting in your life or some issue, a way that you've fallen, whatever that looks like, we encourage you first to go to the Lord and then know that we are here, I'm here, Steve's here, staff are here. Um, we have a lot of incredible people at the chapel who want to talk with you, encourage you, um, and help you um, figure these things out. And so we'd love to talk with you after this. But like I said, during this time of worship, spend time with the Lord. What are the things he wants you to do in the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade of your life? What does that look like for you? And to spend some time with the Lord. So you guys can stand up. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.